Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 125, recorded on July 7th, 2021. Jedi is dead, and the Cloud Pod launches bottle rockets in celebration. Good evening, Peter. How's it going? I'm doing well. It's going to be a quiet night, just you and me, huh? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, when you have shows in summer, people like to take vacation. <laughs> so unfortunately, <laughs> uh, Jonathan's out on vacation, enjoying uh, hopefully quality time on the beach. And Ryan, I'm not exactly sure where he's run off to this night, but we weren't able to get him for recording. And we have a limited window to record this week. So we had to take advantage of what we could. So it's like the old days when just me and you, Jonathan, skipped out on us before we added Ryan. Yeah, that's cool. We'll yeah. do it. Yeah. Nail it. Old school. Old school tonight. Yeah. It's all good. Love it. Well, we have a lot of exciting news uh, this week, uh, and the show title, of course, uh, tips off one of our first stories, which would be Jedi. And Jedi is dead. Pentagon is canceling their $10 billion Jedi con- side contract that Amazon and Microsoft are fighting over, and I'm just glad it's over and it's done. Uh, this announcement came on Tuesday after it called off the $10 billion cloud contract, uh, which was being dragged through the courts uh, by, by Amazon and Microsoft, which is sort of an admission that the Pentagon didn't want uh, Donald Trump to get maybe uh, <laughs> subpoenaed and had to testify on what his involvement was in the whole contract. Uh, of course, it's not really dead. They're just relabeling it as the Joint Warfighter Cloud Capability, uh, which will be a joint multi-cloud offering where you know, basically pick the right cloud for the right need at the right time, which is what we kind of said they should do about six months ago uh, when this all was kind of getting up a big deal. But uh, overall, this is now in the right direction and... Uh, We'll see what they end up doing here with this new bid, but uh, we won't talk about it. I'm I'm done talking about the Pentagon and their their cloud strategy after you know two years of Jedi. I think I'm I'm good. How about you, Peter? Yeah, when it's more than two years, if you add in from the beginning, I mean that's just from since right since they announced uh, Microsoft as a winner. Well, I mean, so, right, two years that we've been talking about it because we were yeah. on the show for two years. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it existed before that even. So it's it's been going on for a very long time. Which is totally ironic, given the fact that the whole point of the cloud is to make you agile and increase velocity. And they've been bickering for probably three years now about how to get started. No matter how agile you really are, uh, you know, the government will find a way to make you not agile. <laughs> so yeah. perfect example of that here in this cloud contract. So, But, uh, you know, unfortunately, Jonathan and Ryan aren't here. I'm sure they'd be gleefully happy, too, that we don't have to talk about this anymore. <laughs> so we Absolutely. are glad to put Jedi in the rearview mirror and move on talk about other great news this week. And our next story is a little close to the, the show here. Uh, Evoke Data Center Solutions, uh, which is a global provider of co-location and connectivity services. Uh, and just for those who don't you know what I'm talking about, this is actually the spin-out of AT&T's data center business. So they, AT&T got out of the business and spun it off into a new company called Evoke Data Center Solutions. Uh, they have announced its acquisition of Foghorn Consulting. Peter, Yay, what, what's happening? Us. What the? <laughs> that's you. Yeah. Wait, wait a minute. Why haven't I heard about this? <laughs> <laughs> With the addition, uh, Vogue expands their application-first suite of services, providing future-forward companies with the best of cloud and co-location solutions. And this is a key part of Vogue's multi-generational infrastructure, or MGI, strategy, which they also announced with the press release here. Uh, Foghorn apparently will be serving as Evoke's cloud engineering arm, delivering additional value for Evoke's clients worldwide. Uh, and there's a couple quotes here. Uh, first up, Andy Stewart, who's the president and CEO at Evoke Data Center Solutions, says, uh, Over the past 13 years, Foghorn has built an env- enviable reputation as an innovative cloud engineering leader with exceptional customer service, cloud expertise, and winning culture. 
With the acquisition of Foghorn, Evoke continues to execute on our growth strategy and give our customers a future-forward and flexible solution that puts their businesses and applications first. We are pleased to welcome Foghorn's team of seasoned and talented cloud and hybrid engineers to Evoke as key partners in their growth. Which is great, I guess, uh, at the end of the day. So what does that mean, Peter? Like, cut, oh, cut, that, you know, cut through the noise of the press question. release. Yes. Um, well, you know, you know we've, uh, Foghorn has been a cloud agnostic uh, consulting provider for, you know, since our inception, um, since before there were multiple clouds, really, if you think about it. And, uh, and you know, there's obviously the co-location and physical hardware piece to a fully infrastructure agnostic uh, solution capability. So um, we really, we really liked Evoke. You know, we've we've been talking to like probably dozens of companies have come to us in the last five years interested in in Foghorn, either partner strategic partnerships or acquisitions. And um, you know, we just really hadn't found anything that was more interesting than what we were doing today. And uh, working with Andy and the the leadership at Evoke, we got really excited about this plan to uh, to really uh, be that. Uh, you know, customer-centric infrastructure company, uh, and so Andy, Andy, and their team are great, and we're super excited to work with them and help companies with their overall infrastructure strategy. And that goes, you know, obviously Foghorn, we're infrastructure agnostic, uh, and then teaming up with a company that's willing to put together uh, flexible solutions, including flexible commercials, which you don't see in Colo. You know, everything in Colo is just a fixed three-year contract. Um, has has been a, a breath of fresh air. So, you know, we're super excited about working with them. They're backed by uh, Brookfield, which is a, a large PE firm. So now we've, you know, we're not limited anymore with a very small sales team and, and small amount of capital. We can really, uh, I think we can really do some cool stuff. So we're, we're super excited about this. We've been working with them probably for about the last six months in not just prepping um, for the acquisition, but also for this MGI strategy, which we, they were, gracious in, in letting us participate in that. So what does, I mean, what does that mean exactly? I've, I've never heard the term multi-generational infrastructure. Yes. Uh, so well, what, what, can you unpack it a little bit for us? Sure. I mean, the, 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 I think the heart of it is really um, being flexible and looking at each, from an infrastructure strategy perspective, looking at each of your applications and, um, and, you know, designing and maintaining an infrastructure that is optimized for that application. So you and I do that all the time with infrastructure that's all in the cloud. You know, we we develop a, a specific set of uh, servers and load balancers, et cetera, that uh, that tailor to that application. Uh, and this is really about doing that for entire companies. So an application first approach to your infrastructure st- strategy instead of either an all-in strategy or all-container strategy or all-cloud strategy or all-colo strategy. So really you're taking what's the best fit for each application if it's on-prem in the colo at, you know, at Evoke or is it you know, in AWS or Google or Azure or whatever customer wants to go with. That's really kind of what you're picking in. And then that lifecycle as it continues to evolve or even a hybrid app that maybe runs on both is really what you're helping customers figure out. Absolutely, exactly. And we've got a great colo company who's willing to go down that journey and understand that you know all the all the workloads aren't going to be in the data center and that's okay uh we still want to be part of the conversation well that's awesome well congratulations to you and the team i know uh you know alex and i talked about this when it happened and uh you know i wish you guys all the best of luck and 
you can hope you continue to sponsor us. <laughs> so we love to have your, yeah. uh, you know, you guys with us all the way through this. And, you know, we've, we tapped into Matt and some other people at your company to guest host when you've been on vacation, which has always been great. And a wealth of knowledge at Foghorn. One's reason why we're excited that they're a sponsor. And, you know, we're over eager to uh, have you, our listeners, actually reach out to them and get into, you know, get into this MGI strategy because it's, it's really cool. It's a really neat uh, concept. And I think it's something different, especially if you do have this need for colo and cloud and you want to embrace both best of both worlds and get the best bang for your buck. Yep. Yeah, we're excited about it. And hopefully we'll have more announcements coming as far as offerings. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Well, the other big story we talked about a little bit last week uh, was Infinidash. And so I d- we just kind of touched base of it like, I think after the lightning round uh, a little bit about it. And so I thought we'd kind of cover a little bit because it continues to be a very hot topic on the cloud space Twitter universe. Uh, so, uh, Infinidash uh, was a joke <laughs> conceived by Joe Nash, who's a, a one of the Amazon Twitter people. And his tweet said, uh, I am convinced that a small and dedicated group of Twitter devs could tweet hot takes about a completely made up AWS product. I don't know, Amazon AWS Infinidash or something. And it would appear as a requirement on job specs within a week. And from there, of course, it took a life of its own <laughs> from numerous Twitter folks getting on the joke tweeting about it, a whole bunch of blog posts. Uh, you know, there's even a GitHub repository now with all of the different things about Infinidash, so you can go uh, see all the partnerships for you know, finding Infinidash SDKs for Rust.net. You can, you know, there's a couple open source implementations of Infinidash called OpenDash. And of course, you know, there's satire in all of this around, you know, oh, well, Amazon, of course, you know, screwing over OpenDash by announcing Infinidash. Is there, you know, all the things that we talk about here quite often. Um, and so there's been a little bit of backlash, actually, that kind of came out of the community, too. And saying, you know, it's already hard enough to learn cloud. This reason why, you know, we actually do this podcast because we want to help you guys keep on top of what's happening in the space. Uh, but you know, they, they were concerned that people were coming into Twitter or into technology, and actually, show, it did show up in some people's job descriptions. But more as a joke, you know, kind of getting on the joke. But you know, people don't know that it's a joke, and they don't know what it is. And so now, all of a sudden, it's going to have a technology or Twitter gatekeeping, uh, which is kind of the negative side of it. So. There's definitely some interesting discussions about it and some interesting thoughts, but overall, if you see AWS Infinidash or Amazon Infinidash uh, in your in your life right now, just know it's a fake product uh, and it's just a joke. And you may not find it funny, but someone does somewhere out there. <laughs> well, I think you know it's kind of a compliment to AWS and the fact that they release so many products so fast that nobody's surprised when another one pops up. People right. are making and, jokes, and I haven't heard of it. Oh, no, no surprise yet because I. Yeah. You know, I'm behind on my episode of the Cloud Pod, or I, I haven't checked out last week an AWS newsletter or whatever else. And then the other thing that, you know, just the parodies of all of the typical complaints, you know, people complaining it doesn't have CloudFormation support day one. It doesn't have, uh, you know, like the open source thing. It was just, you know, if you're in this world like we are, and, you know, we kind of exposed to you guys here as our listeners, uh, you know, it, it's there's a, a way that Amazon announces things and a way that the community reacts to it very typically. And this is just, you know, showing how easy it is to show how people are just kind of in this automatic reaction like everyone's negative about it if it's open source everyone's positive about it It ends up on job descriptions with ridiculous five-year requirements for you know skill sets it's just things that happen every time it just you know satired quite well in this whole thing so do peruse the uh, github repo it's uh it is interesting to check out what they what they got going on in there and just to take a look at it so well uh july 5th came and went peter i don't know if you knew that or not you know i did I did. And a big a big thing happened in the world. Uh, the Amazon CEO stepped down and Andy Jassy took right. over. Officially, as of July 5th, uh, Andy is now in charge of the Amazon ship. Uh, and you know, best of luck to him. And the stock price uh, so far this week has been pretty positive about the news. 
Uh, Andy wrote us email to all of the AWS employees on Sunday night, uh, and he, you know, I want to quote something he said in the in the email. Uh, you guys are a smart, widely inventive, missionary, customer obsessed, insurgent, and action oriented, hardworking group with high ownership and trying to build a business that outlasts all of us. Uh, so he was very thankful to the AWS team who got him where he is, and wish him the best of luck under Adam Slipsky. So we will now see what the Slipsky era brings us in the AWS space. But uh, you know, congratulations to Andy. I hope uh, Jeff enjoys his retirement. May it be long, as long as he gets through the Blue Origin space launch in a few weeks. I think he's bored already. He's like, oh my God, it's been two days. I don't know what to do. I think I made a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think he's I think he's got enough other side projects they can keep him busy. He can go he can go play with the Washington Post for a bit. He can go do some Blue Origin stuff. Uh, you know, all the things. Oh my God. He must be he's gonna have a field day with the post and uh, Trump. Eh, yeah, Trump's suing uh, suing Twitter and Google and Facebook today. I saw so, you know, for banning him from their platforms. That's a good free speech. Yeah, it is kind of funny. It'll be a good free speech uh, conversation at the end of the day. See yeah, ends up. We'll see where it ends up. It I assume that the tech companies will be victorious in this because you know they it's their platform. You accept you accept the user rights and user agreements, and uh, you're not a public office anymore don't think you have any right to <laughs> force your way back onto a platform that kicked you off. Yeah. Make your own platform. I, I think he tried and realized that was going to be expensive. <laughs> so. Yeah. Not just expensive, <laughs> right? It's not just money. If, if it yeah. was just money, you could do it. It's not just money. Yeah. It's not just money. Well, Amazon Prime Day was just a few weeks back and, uh, you know, I did not buy anything this year. I don't know about you, Peter. Did you pick up any awesome Prime Day sales event items? Here's what's awful is I probably bought something on Prime Day and didn't know it was Prime Day. I mean, that's sort of the, the pandemic thing is I just buy stuff on Amazon all the time. Yeah. It's just a constant barrage of Amazon boxes. I almost wish they had a service where I could just subscribe to them like, hey, everything I ordered for the week, just bundle it into one box at the end of the week and just ship it once. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I don't have to deal with all the boxes? Totally. Yeah, exactly. I'd almost pay for that service as part of my Prime. Like, I want Prime, eco-friendly Prime, which, uh, you know, less boxes, less cardboard, less shipping. Uh, so, but uh, Jeff, uh, you know, Jeff apparently took care of uh, some shopping, though. He uh, bought a new TV, he said. Uh, as well as some gardening supplies and a Dremel for his workshop and a magic mirror. Because yes, Jeff, you are the fairest of them all. <laughs> <laughs> so remember that uh, Amazon talks about Prime Prime Day in a really weird way. They talk about their compute as a uh, basically an internalized, normalized instance or an NI unit. And this unit they use to make meaningful comparisons between the different types and sizes of EC2 instances. And that way they can compare them year to year because, of course, there's been the C3, the C4, the C5s. You know, and the performance gets better every year for them, and they can do different things. But the, for this year, they actually increased the number of NIs by 12.5%, but due to increased efficiency, they used about 6,000 fewer machines than they did for Cyber Monday in 2020. And of course, you ask the question, how is that possible? And the answer is, of course, Graviton2, uh, which supported 12 core retail services this time around, this being the first peak event supported at scale by the Graviton2 processors. Uh, and this is partially because of an internal service called DataPath was moved uh, to the Graviton2 architecture for a highly optimized workload and need uh, that supports lookups, queries, and joins across structured blobs of data. Uh, this service ran on 53,200 C6G instances of compute. Now, you know, we talk about, oh you know, does your cloud provider have enough compute capacity? Uh, if they're scaling for Amazon size of 53,200 boxes just for one one customer, they've got you handled, I think. <laughs> That's a lot, of, a lot of pretty new Graviton processors that are available to them uh, in a pretty big way. 
Uh, at this kind of scale, the price performance advantage of the Graviton 2 was up to 40% compared to the fifth generation or the C5 uh, x86-based instances with a 20% lower cost. And as a bonus, the Graviton helped them achieve their goals for climate change because it was more uh, efficient and less power usage. CloudFront, of course, was also very active, as it always is, handling a peak load of over 290 million HTTP requests per minute for a total of 600 billion HTTP requests during Prime Day, uh, which is a lot. <laughs> it's just massive hundred billion. Jeez, yeah. please. SQS, which is a key service for fulfillment processing, set a new record processing 47.7 million messages per second at peak. Uh, I like to get my service limit increased to 47.7 million yeah. messages per second. <laughs> I'm not sure I can do that. <laughs> That'd be and pretty funny eat. if the guy got like uh, the the owner of the product got declined. He's like, "Hey, hey, yeah, I'm Amazon. I can do whatever I want. I'm, I'm Amazon." Uh, the EBS fleet handled 11.1 trillion requests per day and transferred over 614 petabytes uh, per day of data. And the Aurora uh, helped the Amazon fulfillment technologies team power physical fulfillment for purchases made with over 3,715 instances of AFT's Postgres-based Aurora which processed over 233 billion transactions and stored 1.5 terabytes of data and transferred 615 terabytes of data by itself. And then DynamoDB rounding out the numbers with uh, handled trillions of API calls obtaining single-digit millisecond performance and peaking at 89.2 million requests per second. Whew, that's a lot of, that's a lot of compute. Uh, I think that's pretty insane, but impressive all the less. Uh, and Ryan's joined us as well, so hi, Ryan. Yay! Hey. Hey, Ryan. Yeah, at this rate, you guys are going to have to start editing me in at the start of the episodes. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, talk to Jonathan on that when he gets back from vacation. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Those numbers are crazy town. So it's awesome. So to do this, I mean, obviously, they're not just building out their normal capacity and then hoping that all this capacity is available when Prime Day comes. You think they're building out all of, all of the additional net capacity they're going to need for Prime Day, not even allowing it to be, like, purchasable? And then do Prime Day, and then that's the new inventory to continue to sell AWS. I don't know. I, I I suspect that they have their own zones or regions that power the Amazon Cloud. I don't think they're in normal AWS world, even though they maybe parts of it are. I don't. I mean, maybe they do. I, I have no no inside knowledge on this. Uh, but you know, you think about like Netflix, who had who, you know kind of had its own availability zones. Uh, dedicated to the workloads of how big it is. I'd assume that you know Amazon has something similar, or at least carved out areas that those that capacity is somewhat reserved for them because they do know they need some level of steady state, and then maybe they burst into the larger cloud uh, when they need the capacity. But you know it could be the other way around too. Maybe they buy it for them for a peak, and then they give it back to the bigger cloud community. But you know, knowing that Black Friday is only you know only four or five months away, I'm not sure that makes sense to do that. Then they just start building. Then they like they they build up. They have Prime Day. They've got a ton of inventory that their other consumers then start buying as their service grows. But they're building out at that same time. They're building out for uh, Black Black Monday, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Sorry, I was thinking Cyber yeah. Monday. Yeah, then they're building out for Cyber Monday, and then they release that after Cyber Monday. I wonder, yeah, I wonder if that's where, like, part of the reason Prime Day exists, right? So that, you know, they're not competing with their customers on, you know, Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just just assume it's one of those things you looked at the revenue by quarter and you're like, ooh, the summer's a little soft. How do we, how do we boost the summer (laughs) sales numbers? Oh, we put in a sales event in the middle of it, just like every other retailer in the world has done. That's why there's, you know, that's where Christmas in July came from as a concept. (laughs) So, as retailers saying, Ah. we got to come up with a way to sell stuff. 
All right. Well, uh, Ryan, we did talk about a very important story uh, while you were gone, uh, which is the Pentagon canceled their $10 billion Jedi contract. So uh, that's the real reason I missed the beginning of the episode. I just couldn't stand to talk about Jedi just one more time. You know, that's the last this is time. the time you want to talk about it. You <laughs> get to say it's over. Time. Yes, it's a fantastic day for that. So we uh, we are definitely end of the Jedi world. And then another big news, of course, that you missed uh, is Evoke Data Center Solutions has acquired Foghorn Consulting, uh, which you were aware of before the show, but mm-hmm. uh, we talked about that as well. So uh, anything yeah. you want to add to either of those topics before we kind of move on here? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you should listen back Boring. to this. Peter gave a great, yeah, gave a great overview of what of what uh, Evoke and Falcon are going to be doing in the future. So mm-hmm. definitely check that out. Excellent. Well, something you do you can talk about is ECS, and so uh, I am pleased to announce that Amazon has announced the general availability of the ECS optimized Bottle Rocket AMI. Of course, Bottle Rocket is an open source OS purpose built to run containers. Uh, Bottle Rocket includes only the software needed to run containers and comes with a single step update mechanism which greatly improves your security posture and reduces maintenance overhead for your ECS clusters. Uh, and ECS will help you automate the OS updates for Bottle Rocket, which improves your application deliverability and reduces disruptions uh, during updates. Available to you in all AWS regions to support ECS. So uh, pretty awesome. There's also a blog post uh, here about getting started with Bottle Rocket. It gives you exactly how to do it through code and through the console so you can play with this new Bottle Rocket capability. Yeah. Now, this is a, a long time coming, and, and this has been in preview for quite a while. and. Um, desperately needed as there really hasn't been anything that I know of to replace, you know, container OS by core OS. Like there's the, there's the flat car, you know, there's a couple, there's a couple open source alternatives, but nothing with the full, full support that you would need if you wanted to be very confident running a production workload on it. And so this is, you know, pretty fantastic. And some of the stuff that they added in at the OS level to, you know, help you automate those clusters and, and do troubleshooting and stuff is, is super cool as well. So I look forward to tr- testing this out and trying it out. I wish I hadn't already pivoted all my workloads to Amazon Linux too, and then secured that just because I would have rather gone this, gone this route. There's always time. I mean, yeah, there's there's cutting edge and there's bleeding edge. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, I I feel like going to Amazon Linux too was probably somewhere in the, you know, the, you know, cutting edge to, you know, stable where if you went this way, you'd be pretty bleeding edge <laughs> with some rough, yeah. rough corners. So I, yeah, I think it's awesome, yeah. but I think it's definitely going to take a little bit of hardening before it's really ready for everybody. All right. Well, Kendra uh, has some new announcements. So I think previously we had talked about Kendra back in May uh, on episode 71. Uh, and basically, you know, we talked about how expensive it was. <laughs> so Enterprise yeah. Edition, which uh, lets you search mm-hmm. up to 500,000 documents and run 40,000 queries per day, it was basically costing you about $5,200 a month just to start out. They did have a developer edition, uh, which was slightly cheaper, but of course it's a developer version, not for you know, no SLA there, single AZ. That was giving you $1,800 a month, and so apparently they listened to us because they've given you ability to run smaller, more granular units to enable smaller workloads. And so this new base mm-hmm. Kendra Enterprise Edition now supports uh, $1.40 uh, per hour or $1,000 a month, offering the same functionality availability at a smaller scale and cost. The base K, uh, Kendra Enterprise Edition supports up to 100,000 documents and 8,000 searches a day with adapted bursting capability to better handle unpredictable query spikes. Similarly, the virtual storage capacity units now offer scaling increments of 100,000 documents or up to 30 gigabytes per unit at uh, $0.70 cents per hour, and a virtual query units offering scaling increments of 8,000 queries per day at $0.70 cents per hour, which is pretty great. So that's a much more attractive way to enter into this space than the Enterprise Edition version we talked about uh, back in May. Yeah. 
know, I remember we made jokes about replacing the the built-in Atlassian Confluence search with this, except for we looked up the price and and it was going to be just astronomical. Now this is something that you know it's still a little expensive for for that sort of workload. But if you're running like you know a, a learning platform or you know building some internal tools to allow searching your internal corporate internet docs, something this is definitely something that's usable now, which is great. Yeah, I think it's much more approachable. I agree. It's a little bit expensive still, but to not have to do Elasticsearch or do some other solution to do this, maybe it's worth the cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same, yeah. You know, same thing I say about the SFTP managed service all the time. Like, yeah, it's a little bit more expensive than running it on your own EC2, but I don't have to manage it. So yeah. I'll take that every That's day of the week. <laughs> yeah. Better things to do with our time. Better things. Well, speaking of better things to do with your time, uh, one of the things that is the bane of all cloud center of excellences is <laughs> getting people to comply with tags and tag standards. And so the Amazon Solutions uh, has, a, or there's a new Amazon Solution implementation for uh, called Tag Tamer, uh, which helps you solve problems with a lot of Lambda spackle, typically. Uh, and sometimes they eventually become products even, which is even better. Uh, so Tag Tamer helps you apply tags to new and existing AWS resources using the pre-built web interface that ensures a consistent tag implementation, providing improved cost allocations, automation, access controls, and organization. And the solution can help with several things, including finding, correcting, and preventing tag misspelling and capitalization errors, which is my biggest pet peeve. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's capital, not lowercase. And so then those are two mm-hmm. Amazon thinks they're two different tags, even though they're identical. Uh, you can now enforce tagging rules. You can find and update incorrect tags. You can find untagged resources. You can export reports of AWS resources and their assigned tags. Uh, you can manage your AWS service catalog tag options from this and launch a pre-built, uh, which again has a web user interface to manage tags across AWS accounts and the services, and inspect existing AWS resource tags, modify them, and create usable tag options, as well as store tag key value pairs in a centralized and secure repository, just making it a simple drop-down choice uh, in many places. So overall, this is pretty great. I you know, had some interesting use cases. I think it's cool and definitely something if you're trying to solve the massive tagging nightmare. Uh, might be a great solution for you versus building all this in-house, which a lot of people have done with config and different other uh, Lambda rules as well. Well, and even the organization support for deploying a tagging policy, like it sucks to enable that because then nothing you've already, you know, deployed is compliant. And so you can't make any changes to those resources. It's very frustrating. So this is, this is a nice like uh, counter punch to that where now you can have a tagging policy, but you can only, you roll that out once you've, you've sort of, you know, conquered the madness of the existing environment. Up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, but this is a great way to just be able to even start doing it because it gives you that web user interface to actually go modify the tag. So you can start, you know, you can have that meeting that you always have to have with the dev team or the ops team and say, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to go through your account today. <laughs> we're going to tag these mm-hmm. things. And like now you're just doing this web GUI. Now, of course, that has to tie back to a bunch of other things like your automation for infrastructure code, but at least it gets you a starting place, uh, which mm-hmm. may be better than nothing. I like that it's got yeah. a little GUI. That's kind of fun. A lot of the Amazon Solutions invitations don't have GUIs, so it's kind of a, a unique feature. No, that is very interesting. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. 
Uh, so the Vera C. Rubin Observatory is launching the first preview of its new Rubin Science Platform, or RSP, for initial cohort of astronomers. The RSP provides an easy-to-use interface to store and analyze the massive data sets of Legacy Survey of Space and Time, or LSST, which will survey a third of the sky each night for 10 years, detecting billions of stars and galaxies and millions of supernova, variable stars, and small bodies in the solar system. And as you can imagine, the LSST datasets are unprecedented in size and complexity and will be, large for, uh, will be too large for scientists to download for their personal computers, which challenge accepted. Instead, scientists will use the RSP to process, query, and visualize and analyze the LSST data archives through a web port, web portal, notebook, and other virtual data analysis services. Of course, all powered by Google Cloud, which has a three-year partnership with the Rubin Observatory. Uh, RSP will be leveraging the Google Cloud Storage, Google Kubernetes Engine, and the Compute Engine, uh, which would be great. And this will be uh, starting sometime in 2023 with the actual surveys. And each scan is expected to be up to about 500 petabytes, or sorry, all, all 10 years of scans will be up to about 500 petabytes of data, which is quite a bit. Uh, can I give a trivia question? Sure. So what mm-hmm. data set would be bigger than that? Bigger than the universe? Uh, all of the possible iterations of a chess game. Really? More, more, more data, more possible iterations of a chess game than there are atoms in the observable universe. Well, with your new uh, connections to Google Cloud and with Evoke and your partnership, you should talk to Google about creating the, the chess move uh, data set so we can analyze that in BigQuery. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really cool use case. Uh, again, you know, the, the big data use cases that Google's supporting and helping enable are just kind of awesome altogether. And you know, even the scientist community is getting really excited about them as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a quote here from Melissa Graham, lead community scientist for the Rubin Observatory and research scientist in the astronomy department at the University of Washington. Revolutionary nature of the future LSST dataset requires a commensurately innovative system for data access analysis paired with robust support for scientists. I'm personally excited to enhance my own skills by using RSV's tools for big data anal- analysis, analysis sorry, while also helping others to learn and pursue their LSST-related science goals during Data Preview Zero, which is the uh, initial cohort, as it's called. So pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome, and it's such a breath of fresh air to see this kind of partnership with science um, versus, you know, like a big corporate entity using, you know, the power to... Or, you know, big, big authoritarian, uh, you know, government service that wants facial scanning technology and location data to track humans, you know. Yeah. So, Palantir. Nice. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Google is introducing a new predictive auto-scaling capability for your managed instance groups, or MIGs. Uh, this is a great way to automatically scale your application before the load arrives based on predictive patterns from prior activities. Uh, I do want to point out that it did burn Slack previously, so be careful. <laughs> uh, predictive auto-scaling uses Google Cloud's uh, you know, machine learning capabilities to forecast capacity needs, and it creates a VM ahead of growing demand, allowing enough time for your application to initialize. Uh, today, predictive auto-scaling uses your instance group CPU history to forecast that future load and calculate how many VMs are needed to meet your target CPU utilization, which is a faux pas because anybody who's on auto-scaling knows that CPU is a terrible metric, uh, but that's okay. You can configure how far ahead you want the autoscaler to create new VMs. So, for example, if you know it takes about five minutes to spin up your VM, the autoscaler would create the VMs five minutes before it actually is needed. The forecasting model understands the difference between time of days or days of the week, and I hope to see additional scaling models sometime later in the year beyond CPU. But, uh, yeah, pretty nice. Just add, like, a Bitcoin miner somewhere to make sure that (laughs) CPU is always the bottleneck. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. 
No, I mean, these, these things, auto-scaling and adding that in can be difficult and figuring out when to scale can be challenging. And CPU isn't always the greatest, depending on your workload. Um, but, you know, anything that you're doing to make that more automatic and, and even if it's a starting point to something that you replace with your own automation, that's a little bit more, you know, finer tuned. I like these. Yeah, and if you do a good job of making your instances, you know, or, or your service fail gracefully, where you don't, uh, where you don't crash boxes because of the overload, then uh, these these tools seem like a great way to go. And sure, you might have a very small service disruption. It would be great if they let you use custom metrics. That's the next step. And then once you can use custom metrics, I would trust this something like this over. My own, uh, my own algorithms any day of the year. Well, it's good to see, yeah, it. especially when they're threshold based. <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. Yeah, I get, I get right the worst. I get right the worst algorithms that leave gaping holes. I could do, I could do a good job of that. <laughs> That's why they don't let Peter code. Uh, I know exactly. <laughs> yeah, take take the keyboard away from the CTO. <laughs> Go back to your PowerPoint. <laughs> Well, if you are using the Google Cloud VMware engine, uh, they have a bunch of new features for you uh, this week. Um, so these are all great. And so, of course, they want to post them in a blog post, which means we're, we're going to cover it. The first one is faster provisioning of VMware Private Cloud. Uh, so you can now spin up your VMware Private Cloud in about 30 minutes, which is about 3 billion times faster than your infrastructure team is going to set up a brand new cluster in your data center. So pretty nice there. Uh, auto-scaling allows users, to, uh, they're also adding auto-scaling capability, which allows users to leverage a policy-driven automation to scale the nodes needed to meet compute demands of the VMware infrastructure, uh, which is fantastic. And then they have support now for the Mumbai region. So if you are, have a large India population of uh, users or IT people, they can now spin this up there. And then a bunch of new enterprise-grade features for you, including a, a brand new SLA of 99.99% availability in a single zone for a cluster with fully dedicated 100 gigabits per second East-West networking with no oversubscription and all non-volatile memory express storage. The Google Cloud VMware engine to provide the highest performance for demanding workloads. They have Google Cloud KMS integration, which allows you to use Google Cloud KMS to manage your encryption keys for the vSAN, uh, which you could do previously, but with your own you know, CMEK uh, keys or bring your own keys, which then means you have to rotate them yourself. So getting that from Google is nice. It's now HIPAA compliant for your VMware needs. And they support NSXT for AD, so you can leverage your on-premise AD to authenticate uh, your NSXT users. As well as they now support vSAN trim and unmap, which is basically how you take a thin volume that you made fat and make it thin again. <laughs> so, so I can summarize that. And then your new dashboards available to you in the Google Cloud monitoring to make it easier to create alerting and notifications for all your VMware engine needs. So pretty nice. Oh, they should have named it Binge and Purge. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're getting rid of all the fun names at Google, so, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I, think in, I think in vSAN, it's actually called Trim and Unmap. Uh, I think it's the actual feature name VMware uses, but I always think about it. I was like, oh, yeah, this is the thing you did when you accidentally made your log files fill up all of your thin provision disks and how you get, how you get back to something reasonable again, so. uh, which I've accidentally done before. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's a very, very welcome feature. Uh, yeah. I've never actually managed to get them thin again. I've always just lived with the bloated disk forever. Well, or you have to go some like terrible gymnastics where you have to like copy this volume into a new volume that's thin provision. Like, it's always awful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it takes forever. I'm far and too lazy for that. Yep. <laughs> always good. Well, let's pause for another break. All right, moving on to Azure. 
Azure has a new VPN NAT for you in preview, uh, which now supports overlapping address spaces between customers' on-premise branch networks and their Azure virtual networks, as well as also enables businesses to our business-to-business activity where address spaces are managed by different organizations. The VPN NAT preview supports a one-to-one static NAT today, uh, so it's not really great for big networks, but a good starting place nonetheless. Yeah, it's, yeah. everything we could do here it would be great because. People spin stuff up in the cloud and have, don't even know their companies have to have internal uh, private IP management systems, and they spin it up <laughs> with with something overlapping all the time. Yeah, I mean it's a huge management overhead for infrastructure teams. You know, acquisitions it's a huge one where you have to re-IP your machines just to to remove the conflict, and then you you lose the ability to do stuff. You know, like Kubernetes. Which, because you wanted to deploy that on a, a network where it can scale, but if you have to have that all unique IP space, you're burning your internal space. You may not have enough, depending on how large large you are. Mm-hmm. So yeah, these are great things. And something that I think Amazon has, I think Google has this as well. So you know, the ability to do this in your NATs, uh, so you can avoid the IP conflict, especially with the transit gateway. That's one of the big features, I believe, on the AWS side. Is it built in? I didn't realize that was in the Transit Gateway where you could actually NAT across. Mm-hmm. It's one of the features that. Is that it allows you to use multiple, you know, the same, you can use the same IP space in every account if you wanted to. Uh, and then just the Transit Gateway will figure it out for you, which I wouldn't recommend. But <laughs> if that's what you have to do, that's what you have to do. It's one way to get one cloud formation for all VPCs. Yeah, because I couldn't parameterize that. I couldn't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I have no IPM system that I can just go ask for <laughs> subnet from. So instead, NAT everything. For listeners of the Cloud Pod, you know that I have no love for Microsoft Active Directory, which is why I'm excited to tell you about the leading cloud directory platform, JumpCloud. JumpCloud makes it easy to solve today's IT challenges by unifying device and user management through a single pane of glass, enabling you to securely manage your users and devices and perform common tasks like onboarding and offboarding remote workers. With JumpCloud, you no longer need to implement an on-premise Active Directory infrastructure or additional tooling to scope a user's access, and you can ensure that the user is coming from trusted devices and networks. Enabling JumpCloud's zero-trust solutions improves the security and compliance of your network, ensuring users have access only to the services they need when they need them. To start your organization's move to a modern, secure hybrid work model, try JumpCloud for free today at cloud.jumpcloud.com slash thecloudpod. That's cloud.jumpcloud.com slash thecloudpod. If you uh, are a customer of New Relic uh, or Azure Spring Cloud, they are now getting married. And so this is the announcing of the integration of New Relic 1 performance monitoring into the Azure Spring Cloud, which I was confused because I was like, Azure Spring? Like, is there a different cloud that only works in the springtime for Azure? No, no, this is for Spring Boot, which I thought was sort of on the way out, but apparently not out enough that Azure is not going to support it. Uh, So Azure has been currently working with many enterprise customers over the last 18 months to learn about the scenarios. And many of these customers have thousands of Sprint Boot apps running on-premise. As they migrate them to the cloud, they need the instrumentation uh, for APM to allow them to criti- see the critical and typically or critical issues that are happening in their application, uh, and that's done by an APM agent like New Relic One. Like all things Java, it's always going to be on its way out for the next fifty years. Yeah, <laughs> on its way out. Yeah, on its way out means only growing by single digits. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. The nice thing is that the uh, the Azure Spring Cloud is actually a partnership with VMware and uh, Azure. So VMware owns Spring Boot. Uh, which they bought many years ago. Uh, so this is actually supported by VMware and by Azure at the same time, which is actually not bad if you're 
you know, in that ecosystem and you do have a Spring Boot app, getting you know access to VMware engineers to troubleshoot your Java code is always a plus. Better than me doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are back with another uh, monthly CTO blog post. And after last month's heavy sales job, I am pleased to announce that it's back to its normal awesomeness. <laughs> and so uh, building on a prior article from a few months ago written by Christina Del Amo on advancing safe deployment practices at the Azure cloud, uh, this one covers AI ops for safe deployments and the internal Azure tool called Gandalf. Uh, so when doing phase rollouts, you typically have several layers of tasks from code to deployment and local watchdogs. And these different tasks and data points come together to give you an overall view of the large-scale deployment. Leveraging automated monitoring, anomaly detection, and rollout impact assessment solutions to facilitate deployment decisions. So this is basically what I just said to you is we monitor as it goes. So if it's all catching on fire, we stop it from happening to the whole globe. (laughs) Basically how I can summarize that down. Uh, To help put all this together, the Azure Compute Insights team built Gandalf, the safe deployment service, an end-to-end continuous monitoring system for safe deployments. And it serves as a global watchdog which makes intelligent deployment decisions based on signals collected. So when the data center is on fire because of the new code, it stops things. Uh, working in tandem with the local pre-qualification desk policies and watchdogs ensures the deployment minimizes impact to the end users at the end of the day. Uh, and overall, this is a really great use of AI ops, one of the better ones I've actually seen. And so I hope this baby becomes part of an Azure product sometime in the future. Ooh, yeah, help me do this for my infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, this is a big problem that almost every business has, right? Which is, you know, how do you stop a deployment, especially a large deployment? And so, you know, typically we throw people at it and we have them watch millions of dashboards and hopefully they catch it. But usually it's some problem somewhere that's exposed to the customer that triggers that. So if we can, more tools that detect that earlier, great. Yeah, I think standard for most companies today is roll it out, let it break everything, and then... Mm -hmm figure out the fix, and then roll out the fix and fix everything. Yeah. yeah. All right, that's it for new news this week. Peter, you want to take us to the lightning round? I would love to. Let's start with soft delete for blobs capability for Azure Data Lake storage is now in limited public preview. I mean, the, the joke wrote itself. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Aren't all deletions on blobs soft? Like, yeah. How do you do a hard delete on Yeah, on a, on a, jello. On a blob. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazon EKS managed node groups now supports parallel node upgrades. Which now means you can take down your entire EKS cluster at the same time to do an upgrade. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you for that, Amazon. <laughs> this is this is in response things to, faster. This is in response to that GKE feature that came out, I don't know, like a couple months ago where they give you the option to do node by node or do you know massive scale mm-hmm. so you can fit into a maintenance window. But uh, you know, I always love services that make you go down if you not do it carefully. Jokes aside, I finally have my first use case for for this, which is you know usually you'd want a rolling update so that you can roll back safely and do all these things. But apparently, if you're using certain subscriber tools and uh, and event bus tools, you want to basically just you know you're going to take the hit, so you may as well get it over with as, as short as possible because the the subscriber reauthentication and, and client management will actually make the outage way way longer. Ooh. Yeah. Should we name it Rip the Band-Aid Off feature? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. AWS Glue Studio now provides data previews during visual job authoring. Oh, so no code. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> this is just furthering that I, I really do not know who the target audience for Glue is and what they're trying to do. Every time I try to use it, it doesn't do anything like ETL. And I guess now it will show me. <laughs> In explicit terms that it's not doing what I want on the console. Great. Yeah, I'm picturing just those 
the, the UI being one of those uh, ads trying to get you to click on that game that has like the doors and the and the panels and where the water flows out and you don't want it to drown the person. <laughs> I, I, I don't know how it would work. ABS Glue Data Brew adds support for backslash delimiter in CSV data sets. Like, <laughs> wow. Are we going to get, you know, said support next? Like, can't Ooh. wait for that. Yeah. I just got to feel bad for whatever workload caused this feature request because this probably looks, this looks like it was bad. Do you use what? The backslash. <laughs> What do you mean? Why? <laughs> Why? That's Why our delimiter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The entire data lake is delimited by backslash. <laughs> that feature oh, for your day job, Ryan? It sounds like something you guys would need. <laughs> Does sound like something I'd need. AWS Glue Data Brew also adds support for 14 new advanced data types for data preparation. What, a string isn't good enough for you, people? You want specific yeah. ones now? Ugh. Okay. Blobs, yeah. maybe? Yeah. Social and security number, I guess. I Backslashes. Yeah. I think I think a new data type is the 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 ampersand delimiter. Yes. <laughs> I like it. AWS Amplify launches a new full stack CI C D capabilities. Just proving that I still don't understand what this product does because the whole point of Amplify originally was that you attach it to a GitHub repo and then it would build your static web app or your mobile application and then publish it for you. So wasn't it CI C D before? No, because now you have to plug it into like you know a change request process and, and, and put, get it through. Oh, no, I'd have put a code pipeline now. That's the real. That's mm-hmm. the real shame. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Mm. Need more dashboards to track progress up to updates. Well, speaking of Amplify, AWS Amplify CLI now adds support for storing environment variables and secrets accessed by AWS Lambda functions. Just one more way to store secrets. So I, when that person quits, I can't find it. Thank you. <laughs> No, but this 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 announcement sort of answers the reason for the previous announcement, right? It's like I guess you want to if you're going to tie it to GitHub, you want to do you know different environments, and so you're going to have to have different secrets in those environments. Yeah, okay. But if I'm decided on Amplify, am I really like clever enough to be storing environment variables that are accessed by Lambda functions? I don't know. So how many times in in your day job has a customer decided on a use case and then? specifically hit the edges of that use case, but doesn't really mm. want to re-engineer the whole thing. <laughs> well, I mean, so you're saying I mean, we start on Amplify, and then we're like, uh-oh. That's well, okay, but, just stick well, it in the Lambda function. And then, uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one of the things about Amplify is it's very static asset-based, but if you want to do things like form processing or you want to take you know anything, it's got to go to Lambda. So it's always part of the Lambda story of Amplify. Um, it's just now you have this, this linkage to put it together. That sounds great. I can't wait till somebody starts using it. That's going to be fun. <laughs> I can't wait till someone starts using Amplify. <laughs> AWS IQ now supports attachments. Oh, good. I can attach the bill for all the IQ points I just lost those last six stories. <laughs> I got nothing. I would say yes. Amazon Athena adds parameterized queries to improve reusability and security. <laughs> Answering the question, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> I 
How did I get that data? I like, I like how we went from, you know, here's Athena, which gives you this amazing tool to, to query your data, like BigQuery. I can, you know, do all those things without any infrastructure to run. And then we're going to give you security controls that say you can only run these certain queries with certain parameters. Great. Thanks for mm-hmm. that. Appreciate it. All right. That ends our lightning round. And I'm going to do something unique this time. I don't know if we're, we're going to have a lot of uh, people who are excited about this decision. But uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to agree with Justin in that the soft delete for Blob's capability joke wrote itself, which means I get the point. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. I'll, I'll, I accept yeah. it. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but you got two now. If you, I don't know if you ever listened to the Matt episode to uh, find out why he yeah. awarded you a point. But, uh, well, he, he told me offline also that he's like, uh, that's harder than it looks. <laughs> harder <laughs> than it sounds. Yeah. What's well, going to be funny at the end of the year is when you, you have more points than me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're only three uh, off. You're only three off. Yeah. It's getting close. All right. Well, there are things coming up here in July because we are fully in July, six months into the year. I don't know where the year's gone, but uh, the Security Summit for Google is coming up on July 20th, which is just a few weeks away. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, uh, when this comes out, you have about a week left to sign up and get on that one. So definitely get to that right away. Retail and Consumer Goods Summit will be on July 27th. Uh, tomorrow is actually the state of FinOps for July, but that will mean that those are advertising for the state of FinOps for August, because it's a monthly thing. Uh, definitely check that out. Uh, this month's uh, topics, I think, are actually out on the website now. I will real-time follow up on this. Uh, they are going to be talking about unit costs, activity-based costing tomorrow, adopting FinOps in the enterprise, the state of FinOps for Kubernetes, as well as giving updates on some of their working groups as well in the meeting. So uh, exciting times. I'm sure it's going to be great uh, if you're in the FinOps Foundation. Check those out uh, as I will be checking out the Kubernetes one. I'm actually kind of curious about that one in particular. Uh, we're only a month away from uh, Reinforce, where you can you know cook eggs on the sidewalk at the conference if you're hungry. Uh, August 24th, 25th in Houston, Texas. Uh, so do 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 that uh, very, very soon. And then Amazon reInvent, of course, is coming up in October, in November. And then Google Cloud Next sometime in October. Uh, we believe the 12th to the 14th, but we have not heard much yet on that. I expect to start hearing something in the next month or so. So we'll give you updates as we hear more about Google Cloud Next and what their plans are uh, up ahead. And that is it for another fantastic week here in the cloud. Thanks, guys. All right. See you next week. Yeah. Bye, everybody. And that is the week in the cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Foghorn Consulting and Jump Cloud. Check out our website, the home of the Cloud Pod, where you can join our newsletter, Slack team, and send feedback or ask questions at thecloudpod.net or tweet us with the hashtag thecloudpod. Cloud Pod.